Anyways, let's continue on this morning. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Mark as we uh, wrap up uh, this Lord's Day uh, together. The book of Mark. You know, for 500 years before Christ was even born, uh, women uh, were not a significant part of the teaching and learning process of cultures. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Hellenic cultures, the Greek culture, um, 500 years before Christ, uh, for 200 of those years and beyond, um, there were philosophers who taught their followers who were called the Mathetes. You move into the post-exilic pre-Christ you know, pre intertestamental period, and you look at the Jewish culture, uh, they had rabbis and they had followers called uh, Talmud. What's interesting about being a follower under a philosopher, a mathetes, a disciple, or a Talmud uh, is just uh, simply that they were ex uh, not inclusive of women. Uh, uh, women uh, were not allowed. Uh, so, um, uh, but someone changed that. Uh, someone changed that as time went on. And I want to talk about that person uh, this morning and, and the ladies that he was instrumental in including. You jump past the life of Christ, right? And after the Gospels, we see a consistent mention of ladies that were spiritually influential in their local churches. There was Priscilla, you know, the wife of Aquila, so instrumental in Paul's life. There was Tabitha, the first woman ever to be called a disciple. In the book of Acts, in chapter 9, there was Lydia in Acts chapter 16, the woman upon whose shoulders the gospel spread to the Western world as we know it. You guys know Timothy's grandmother and mother who nurtured a timid-like boy who would be mentored by Paul for some 18 years and placed as a pastor in the most influential first century church in Ephesus. We know the ladies we've already mentioned this morning that are so instrumental in our church in Titus chapter 2. Yes, not a church program, but essential reality within the culture of the local church. You've probably studied on your own time. The widows, the widows indeed, who lived lives of spiritual integrity that were accounted among the number to be cared for in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And, and my goodness, there's so many others, aren't there? Well, Who's responsible for the public spiritual inclusion of women between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I assure you, it was the public ministry of Jesus Christ that incrementally included the essential role and ministry of women in that culture and then in the New Testament local church culture to come. The Gospels are replete with the ministry of Christ to women. Obviously, these women include Jesus' own mother, other prominent women would include Mary Magdalene and, let's not forget, the wife of the apostles and their children. Following Christ's ascension recorded for us in Acts chapter 1, there was an upper room prayer meeting. Do you recall who was assembled there? Verse 14 states, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So, how did Jesus proactively begin to announce that women were in his time, uh, 
who were in his time, would be essential influencers within God's community of people within the local church. A brief overview of how he began to do this can be seen in the Gospels. He obviously included ladies as listeners in his public discourses. He certainly had women following him along in the crowds who were searching for him. His healing ministry intentionally included women. He purposely highlighted ladies as examples of disciple-making as well in the Gospels. So understanding these things, let's consider several illustrations or several lives of ladies that Jesus creatively wove into kingdom purposes. For today, let's consider these ladies from a gospel writer who presents Christ as servant that we've already announced this morning, the Gospel of Luke. Why is this important? Well, Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, tells us the reason why Mark wrote. He wrote to present Christ as servant. These verses say, But it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ included women in the use of the word many in that verse. And we'll see this in some passages this morning that we've selected from this Gospel of Mark. So let's take a brief examination of this sampling of ladies. And while we do this, we'll highlight together the spiritual fruit born forth and the divine virtues demonstrated in these ladies' lives. Let's go to Mark chapter 1 first, and let's consider a lady who exemplified faithful service. Faithful service. Mark chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you're not already there, and we can read these verses uh, together, beginning in verse 29. Mark writes, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew and James, with James and John. Now Simon, this would be Peter as we would know him, Peter's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. She waited on them. Peter's mother-in-law goes down in the annals of history as a woman who served well. She was exemplary in her service. Early in our marriage, my wife got me interested in French Impressionism. My first introduction was on our honeymoon. Uh, we went to uh, Europe for our honeymoon, and she took me to uh, the Louvre in Paris. And when we found our way to the artwork of the French Impressionist, I found myself surrounded by beauty that had stood the test of time and has continued to attract the attention of generations. In the same way, I've been surrounded by godly women in the local church whose beautiful example of service to the Lord still compels current generations to serve him in the same way. 
The first records of the servant of God in the book of Mark include the announcement of Jesus Christ, his baptism, his temptation, early preaching, the calling of the first disciples, and his first, first growth in fame from casting out demons in Capernaum. And right on the heels, right on the heels of these events, we find a special story of the first recorded miracle of healing of Christ, at least in Mark. It was the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. The attention of this miracle was clear. As the first healing recorded in the book, the recipient of the healing underpins with her life the purpose of the life of Christ as recorded in this gospel. What did we read? We read that when the fever was taken from her by the Lord Jesus Christ, that she waited. She waited on those who were around her. Uh, this is maybe translated as the word serve in your Bible. Yes, the root is that familiar Greek word diakonos. It just simply means to wait tables or to serve food. It broadly came to be a well-known word in the New Testament church function as well, as you know. Serving the Lord indeed did mean waiting on tables and caring for physical needs at the church. We see that in Acts chapter 6. But it expanded to serving the Lord as leaders in the church who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, and it expanded to the whole church as each member of the church is gifted by the Spirit of God with either speaking or serving gifts. The verb form here, she waited on them, teaches us something very important. It teaches that Peter's mother-in-law had a reputation for serving before she became sick and her illness incapacitated her ability to serve. For a time in her service, because of her illness, just took a back seat in her life. But now healed, she's been miraculously touched by Christ and she quickly picks up where she had left off. Many of us feel like we've been um, put in the back seat in our opportunity to serve the Lord since this quarantine. Uh, and we're all anticipating, as God gives us wisdom, a gradual regathering together over the next few months. And uh, we're all excited about that, to pick up where we left off. That's what examples of faithful service do. So Peter's mother-in-law, overwhelmed by the omnipotence of her immediate healing in the hand of Christ, her first impulse is to serve others quickly. Yes, quarantine has set us aside from the service, hasn't it? The way our country has handled the virus has put serving the Lord together in the back seat. Upon our return, I'm sure many of you ladies are longing to serve the Lord again. And can I say this? It's amazing to see how you've continued to serve the Lord even under quarantine. Uh, for many of us, uh, service hasn't taken a back seat. You have found your way by the Spirit's governance uh, to minister and serve in unique and creative ways. But in relationship to returning to the way you served before, that's what I know we'll do, and that's what faithful uh, ladies of God do in the local church. 
It would be efficient to say that at this point, Simon's mother-in-law had a balanced approach to service before her illness. Why? Well, someone who is imbalanced and worn out most likely won't jump back into service like she did. Some of you may have been involved in service before and you experienced burnout. Uh, maybe this time, and you just stopped serving and you took a time out. Maybe the quarantine's given you a time to rest, to recalibrate uh, and refine uh, your service to the Lord. And maybe we'll head back into that in a more balanced way upon our return. For Simon's, mother, for, for Simon's mother-in-law, service was an essential joy in her life. The balance and energy she brought to her service was indeed respectable. In a New Testament context, according to 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11, we've all been gifted with either a speaking or serving gift. Maybe you have one or some of both. I would just ask you this morning, are you excited about returning to the flock of God and serving once again? So many found ways to serve the Lord, and we thank you for that, and we look forward to con your continued faithfulness. The highest calling next to worship in a believer's life is their service to the Lord and his people. And we look forward to fully serving the Lord together with you all soon. So let's examine another life in the book of Mark, another lady's life. Let's go to chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5, a few pages over to your right, and let's read verses 25 to 34 together. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had, and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her affliction. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from his hand had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith had made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. We find here with this woman that's historically been known as the woman with the issue of blood or a woman who had a chronic illness in her circulatory system. Uh, we find a lesson here of what genuine saving faith is. Simon's mother-in-law, it was exemplary service. Here, it's genuine saving faith. I was tremendously influenced by my mom. She was a wonderful example of Christian sainthood. She had learned that from her mom. When I was a small boy, I can remember my mom pleading with me to know Jesus as my Savior. 
She did this best when she would tell me her own testimony of when she came to know Christ when she was a small little girl, about my age then. When I caught, what caught my attention is remembering how much my mom thought she was a sinner, even at a young age. With tears, she would tell me how naughty she was and how uh, she would sass back to her mother in anger and even call her names. But then she would tell me how Jesus saved her. And I can remember the peace and the joy that would come upon my mom's face when she would talk about knowing Jesus as a little girl, as her Lord and Savior. Ladies, before us, here's an example of saving faith that is genuine in this passage that I think we all can learn from. The word immediately is used two times in these short verses. It's the most common word throughout the Gospel of Mark. You probably recognized it another couple times in the little story there about Simon's mother-in-law being healed. Why is it used? Well, we know that in Mark, as we've already stated, Jesus is presented as servant, and there will forever remain an urgency about our Lord's labor in his service to save people. The gospel work of heaven's servants is a delightful and passionate labor. It's a glorious grind, if you will, following our joy, or should I say flowing from our joy from being saved and leading us to the joy of our future escape from this old dark world. Jesus was the ultimate servant. His immediate impulse was to do the will of his Father, and so in Christ, ours remains the same. And in this passage, Christ's heart to do the will of his Father was bent towards hurting unbelief. Remember what we read earlier in Mark 10, 45? Jesus came not to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many, certainly he wanted to do the will of his Father, and the joyful will of his Father was a gospel service. He desired to give his life a ransom for many. Well, here are some unique specifics are explained by Mark about this lady with a chronic illness. She was ill for 12 years. The illness certainly had something to do with her circulatory system, maybe her reproductive system. And if she's of Jewish descent, we need to remember the agony of being forbidden from temple worship because of this. Leviticus chapter 19 tells us in verse 15. She's been a regular at her physician's office. As a matter of fact, it sounds like she's spent her life savings trying to get well, and, and she's still sick. As each year passed by, she's not only staying sick, she's getting worse. Well, Jesus had a deep love for the sick. His omniscient stare at an ill person was one of pity because as creator, he had the knowledge to know what a human body was in its perfect state. In God's terms, if a thousand years is as a day to him and as a day a thousand years, in relationship to this lady who had this hemorrhaging issue, it had only been about a week in Jesus' mind since he had seen Adam and Eve working and enjoying the Garden of Eden in their sinless physical condition. So this explains why Jesus pitied the sick. 
He knew human glory before sin, and he knew illness was the consequence of sin. But Jesus is able to look deeper and beyond mere human illness. He can see the soul, the epicenter of Adam's sin that comprehensively affects all of us. And in this short story, this sickly woman had come to the end of herself in every way. The circumstances of her 12-year battle with illness have brought her to the end of herself. Having grown tired of looking around for help, she's at the end of herself and ready to look up. And Jesus is among the people. She doesn't care if he recognizes her, whether she's walking towards him or crawling towards him. She reaches for his garment and in faith, and she realizes in her body, then she's healed. There's faith, and then there's healing. And it's said on behalf of our diligent serving Savior, immediately perceiving part of himself had gone out from him, that he turned and he asked the question, who touched my garment? What a strange question for omniscience to ask. Certainly he knew. Why would he then ask? You see, this question was not one of wonder. It was one of invitation. Christ desired all around him who had not recognized or maybe not even noticed the chronically ill woman to stop and pay attention to her for gospel purposes. Not all that had come to Jesus for healing came to him to be saved. Jesus desired to introduce this woman by his question so that all could see their greatest need was not physical, but spiritual. In Christ's earthly body, Jesus could lay aside the independent use of his divine attributes, but he still remained God. And with God's authority, he could utilize those attributes, and we see him utilize at least two of them here, his omnipotence and his omniscience. He's all-powerful, but he's all-knowing too. He knew who had touched his garment by name. He knows the state of her body and her soul. He knew that her reason for coming to him was not merely to be healed of her chronic illness because of what Jesus says next, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. If we go back up to what we saw earlier, folks, 12 years she'd spent her life savings looking around for physical health, and she only got worse. By the time she gets to Jesus, I think what we're going to find out next, we're finding out she's not coming to be healed. She's accepted that already as a fact of life. She's realizing she's got a deeper spiritual need. Jesus knew that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The word well here is the most common word used in the New Testament for salvation. Jesus even separates the term well or whole, your translation might say, from the words healed of your affliction to teach us all that something much more divine was going on here than just physical healing. Whatever her learning of Christ had been to this point, this woman had come to Jesus as Savior first and then as healer. Jesus knew omnisciently, and he acted 
omnipotently. This lady was twice healed in the same moment, spiritually than physically. She forever a portrait of saving faith. And ladies, this morning, regardless of the circumstances of your past, can you remember a moment when Jesus made you spiritually whole? This woman knew the cause of her illness was the effect of sin, and sin destroys all it touches. She knew her soul was immensely more sin-sick than her body was physically ill. She knew that Jesus could make her sin-sick soul complete and whole, peaceful. She, no long, she so longed for spiritual health in Christ, and by God's help, this was the priority of her heart. From, under, from understanding this text, I can honestly say that she would have walked away from this interaction with Christ, overjoyed with her spiritual new condition of life being restored, even though her physical condition may not have been. But Jesus in his mercy did both. Certainly not just for her. Why? Because he wanted many others to hear the gospel through her testimony. He wanted others to see what saving faith really is and what it does. So ladies, again, can you remember a time when your soul was made complete in Christ? If so, do you have a gospel witness? Because you're still overwhelmed with joy and relief of what the omnipotence of God did to rescue you from your complete fallen condition. If you're being influenced by God to understand your brokenness and sin, and you're looking for soul peace, only Jesus can offer that. Only Jesus can offer that. Maybe you're in a situation where you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're experiencing a chronic illness. It seems to me in our time that chronic illness abounds and will continue to exponentially grow. I would say from uh, living with a wife that has a chronic illness, uh, hers certainly may not be uh, as devastatingly debilitating as yours. But living with a lady of chronic illness, I can tell you there's nothing that's more um, emotionally and physically discouraging than that. Uh, she makes it through. You make it through if you know Christ with Christ. But think about this lady who came to the Lord Jesus Christ chronically ill at the end of herself, and she just knew, she just knew that she needed her soul to be healed before her body would be healed. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't think there's a more glorious thing that can happen to you this morning than for you to find your soul to be healed by Christ today, on this Mother's Day, uh, as you continue to endure through a world that's just broken by sin. You don't have to live with a broken soul. Jesus can make you whole. So, we've considered illustrious examples of service and saving faith. So let's conclude today by learning from a lady who teaches us sincere devotion. Sincere devotion. Go with me over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 as we conclude this morning. Mark chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 41 to 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury, this is Jesus, and he began observing the people who were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. 
a poor widow came by and put in two small coins, uh, copper coins, which amount to a cent, calling his disciples to him. It was something that the Lord Jesus wanted them to be an eyewitness. He said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors of the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. But in all she owned, all she had to live on. Where does this story really begin? If you step back to verse 28, we find out that the Pharisees tried um, one more question, uh, one that, uh, that they would ask Jesus Christ, one that the rabbis had been debating for a long time. Of the 613 commands found in the law, 365 of them are negative, 248 are positive. Which one was the most important, they would ask Jesus. Jesus replied with the traditional Jewish statement of faith in what's called the Shema, found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It was recited morning and evening by pious religious Jews. He then added Leviticus 19.18, For if we love God, we will show it by loving our neighbor. One of the scribes got the message, if you go back in those verses just before this little short story. He got the message clearly and boldly agreed with Jesus. But the others missed the point completely. They had a shallow view of the real meaning of the law and failed to understand the importance of obeying from the heart, a favorite author of mine has said. The passage goes on to describe in detail the arrogance of the public religious facade of the religious leaders. As they walked their righteous ones in public, Jesus knew their hearts were dark. It's with this backdrop, Mark records Jesus' eyewitness story of a poor, materially destitute widow and her devotion. Know from this story, or we all need to know from this story that we may be very familiar with, um, a certain truth about this lady that's often missed. We would always say that this mini-narrative is the story of the widows, and you fill in the blank. You may have filled in that blank with the word might. Well, if you said might, I understand. But the short story, properly placed in context with the backdrop of unbelieving religiosity, as we've explained, is not about money, but it's about sincerity of heart. Jesus was so impressed with the sincerity of the elderly lady's heart that he called the disciples over and said, truly I say to you, this poor widow, and then you remember what we read. He read the example that he wanted them to remember. You see, the expression of genuine devotion is publicly proclaiming who owns you or what governs you, or who governs you. There is no reality, let alone an example of devotion, until we allow others by watching and the listening of our lives to know that Jesus has our hearts, therefore he has all of us, including what we have and who we are. Many of you could speak often of identity in Christ, 
that's all I want to be known for is identity with Christ. And you are right. We, we preach that here all the time. Consider this, though. How Christ identified and described the one he knew well here and then decide how Christ would identify you. You would say that your identity is in Christ and we would praise God for that. We find our identity in him. But I would ask you this, has he found his identity in you? What would he see in you? Would he see your public ministry and be impressed with your mere service that you can be seen and heard by men? Or would he know your heart to be completely ready to show the congregation of God his ownership of you in every way? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Giving in the public treasury, as this lady was doing in this time, was not private at all. As a matter of fact, there would have probably been 13 different vase-looking uh, canisters for people to drop different uh, size uh, currency in all 13. There was a men's giving section and a woman's giving section in the temple. And Jesus just sat down and noticed both, but noticed this lady. It was not private at all. But what did he notice? Again, he noticed sincerity of heart. Everyone in public would most likely know what someone else put in the treasury by the container that they approached. But Jesus knew this lady's heart. He knows if you're genuinely devoted to him and his cause. And if you're not, well, you're devoted to yourself and your own cause, possibly, or the cause of somebody else. So, ladies of grace, I thank you for allowing the grace of God to develop sincere devotion to God. You see, it's easy to tell if someone's life is all about their own agenda within the agenda of God or simply about God's agenda. True devotion remains committed to gospel agenda and how and where it's to be accomplished. I would just like to conclude by again thanking the ladies of Grace Church of Mentor for I've been here 48 years of my life. I've been here part-time and full-time, as you know, about 30 years of my life. And uh, I have seen faithful ladies like Simon's mother-in-law who have served from the day of their salvation to the day that they uh, were saved from this earth's reality. I have seen genuine examples of saving faith. I have seen ladies who were religious, who thought themselves to be whole by way of religion, who realized their souls were still sin-sick, and they reached out, no matter what their circumstances, to Jesus Christ to make their hearts and lives whole. I've seen those ladies take that joy that's in their lives and, and, and um, Allow that joy to effervesce in a gospel effervescence, if you will, where folks have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and God has used their lives to see others come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I have seen unadulterated, sincere devotion. I have seen 
ladies serve here for decades that have never wanted to be seen, have never wanted to be heard, and have never, ever wanted to be recognized. And when you look at the whole of their worship life together and their worship-filled life outside of the body of Christ, these ladies are sincere, and it is clear that God in Christ owns them. And I thank you for that, for your example to me. Again, on this Mother's Day, if you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, find somebody who knows him. If you're listening, you probably know somebody who has surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Reach out to them today. If you're tired of your circumstances and you're tired of looking around for help and looking around for solutions through mere human means, well, it's time for you to look to Jesus who's divine and your creator to find rest for your soul. Lord bless you all. We're so thankful that you joined us for this Mother's Day um, worship service as we honor biblical womanhood, particularly in relationship to service, saving faith, and sincere devotion. Enjoy your day, and don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock on our live stream only. You won't find it on YouTube or Facebook, but on our live stream only, you can enjoy another family movie together uh, with each other. We love you all. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.